This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, committed to teaching, research, and professional training with degree programs in multiple locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com. Welcome back to the legislature today. I'm Bob Brunner. Thanks for joining us. Two bills passed through both chambers of the legislature and have been approved by Governor Jim Justice. They are Senate Bill 161 and Senate Bill 162. The two measures are expected to be used to recruit a possible hydrogen manufacturing project using natural gas emissions from the manufacturing process to be pumped underground through the carbon capture and storage process. Later in the program, Curtis Tate will speak with two lawmakers on the House Energy Committee. The Senate has passed a bill to improve law enforcement's awareness of and ability to interact with citizens with certain mental health conditions. Chris Schulz has more. Thank you, Mr. President. The committee substitute for Senate Bill 208. Senate Bill 208 would require all law enforcement and correction officers to undergo training for appropriate interaction with and response to individuals with autism spectrum disorders, Alzheimer's, and related dementias. Senator Mike Caputo of Marion is the bill's lead sponsor. He says the idea for the training came from a concerned mother. It's very important because you can mistake them for maybe, you know, someone who wants to do harm. And so, uh, I, you know, it came to us from an idea uh, from a, a mother whose child is on the spectrum. And he was so excited to see a policeman pull his mother over that he, you know, he ran out of the car and uh, and. It came to her like he could have really been hurt because the policeman could have mistaken him for someone that was wanting to do harm. Caputo says the training has been in place for two years, but was initially made voluntary. Senate Bill 208 makes the training mandatory for all officers. We're dealing with a problem in West Virginia that we want to make sure we treat folks uh, kindly and appropriately. The bill specifies the course of instruction relating to autism spectrum disorders shall be developed and delivered by Marshall University's West Virginia Autism Training Center. Training will focus on de-escalation of potentially dangerous situations, provide an understanding of the different manner in which individuals process sensory stimuli and language, and language difficulties likely to affect interaction. Instructors are also required to include adults with autism spectrum disorders and or a parent or primary caretaker of an individual diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder in the course. I think it's pretty simple and upfront. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not going to cost anything. The folks are being trained anyway. It's just going to be part of the curriculum. And uh, I think it's going to be good for West Virginia. 
For the legislature today, I'm Chris Schultz. Senate Bill 264 also passed the Senate Wednesday. It prohibits persons who have been convicted of certain crimes against minors from holding positions on either the State Board of Education or County Boards of Education. Senate Education Committee Chair Senator Amy Grady of Mason says the requirement will be enforced with a certificate of announcement. These crimes are numerous and include such crimes as distribution and display to a minor of obscene matter. The bill also requires that candidates for County Board of Education provide a statement on the certificate of announcement that the candidate swears and affirms that he or she has not been convicted of one of the applicable crimes when the victim was a minor. The bill passed with a unanimous vote and now heads to the House of Delegates for its consideration. A bill passed the Senate today that would change a particular rule about athletic eligibility in schools, but not before some debate. Senate Bill 262 would allow students to transfer schools inside West Virginia and retain their athletic eligibility. Senator Ryan Weld, a Republican from Brook County, is the bill's lead sponsor. He says the current rules unfairly punish West Virginia students for moving. But it's very important to keep in mind that that settling in period doesn't apply if you're coming from out of state. So if you move here from California, get on that team, get out there and play. If you go from a non-member school, so if you, in my district, if you go from Lindsley to public school, you can play. But this girl, and for hundreds of other students across the street, or the state, if you're transferring from a public school or from a private school, public to private, you gotta sit out. Senator Randy Smith, a Republican from Tucker County, opposed the bill. He says schools in rural communities like his already have a hard time finding enough students to field sports teams without students being lured away to surrounding schools by athletics. When I was a parent, when my children was involved in something, you know, things aren't always fair. Sometimes you, uh, you have to learn to get along with the teacher. You have to learn to get along with the coach. Um, and I just feel that we're opening it up where if you don't like your coach, then you look elsewhere. And I, I just think we're, we're starting a, a bad president doing this. Senator Patricia Rucker of Jefferson voiced her support of the bill, likening it to school choice measures the legislature introduced in recent years. Senate Bill 262 passed 27 to 5 with two senators absent. It now goes to the House for its consideration. The Citizens Legislative Compensation Commission is recommending a pay raise for members of the legislature. The resolution was read aloud by the Senate clerk and referred to the Senate Finance Committee. Members of the West Virginia legislature currently make $20,000 a year with additional money for participating in interim committee meetings and travel expenses. If a new recommendation is approved, the annual pay would increase to $28,000 a year, which is equal to the per capita income of the state, according to the U.S. Census. Pay for extra duty days and interim meetings would also increase from $150 to $250 a day as part of the recommendation. The pay raise would not take effect until January 2025. Legislative pay was last increased January 2009. It's Aviation Day at the legislature with the Capitol Rotunda filled with 
high-flying industry representatives, as Randy Yowie shows us, when it comes to West Virginia pilots, plane mechanics, and especially manufacturing jobs, demand far exceeds supply. At Charleston's Jaeger International Airport, about 20 flights take off and land every day. Airport Director Dominique Ranieri says the latest news is a runway length and safety upgrade in its initial stages, and the fact that Jaeger has avoided the non-weather-related flight cancellations and delays plaguing the nation, at least for now. We're so fortunate at CRW, we have United American Delta and Spirit Service. So of course, winter weather does cause cancellations and delays. We've been very fortunate this winter. We haven't had too much of that, knock on wood. Um, but we have not seen the big system-wide delays here uh, in West Virginia yet. Um, Southwest was the operator that recently had a lot of a lot of trouble. They don't yet serve West Virginia, but we're working on getting them here if they can figure out their operational issues. The state aviation economy isn't just about flights and passengers. More than 20 West Virginia businesses make airplane parts or service engines and airframes, exporting more than $150 million in plane parts every year. The State Commerce Department says across the board, West Virginia aviation industry jobs have an average salary of $78,000 a year. Despite that, there are not enough workers to fill a growing number of positions. For more than 30 years, Bridgeport's Pierpont Community and Technical College's Aviation Center has educated and supplied aircraft maintenance technicians to major jet engine manufacturers like Bridgeport's Pratt & Whitney Corporation. Aviation Center Director Brad Gilbert says the Applied Science degree program nearly guarantees job placement. Job placement is excellent right now. I was just talking to the owner of North Star and he needs 10 interns right now. So uh, we're, we're placing students, if they want to work, they, they can get a job. While Marshall University's Bill No Flight School continues to put new pilots and flight instructors to work, School Director Nancy Ritter says the Aircraft Maintenance Technician degree program, now in its first year, will also offer immediate, good-paying, in-state employment. I think Boeing and Airbus have been really open about the requirements for the aviation industry. Over 600,000 technicians needed in the next 20 years, uh, and we're here to serve that need. The state of West Virginia is working to further develop an economy around these growing aviation industries, and those within this transportation business say the sky's the limit. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yowie. Representatives from the solar power industry spoke to state lawmakers earlier this month about a community solar bill they'd like to see enacted. Supporters promise lower utility bills and jobs in communities that need them, but as Curtis Tate tells us, they were met with some skepticism. Many states have the option of community solar, where residents can receive solar power without having to put panels on their rooftops. Advocates of community solar in West Virginia told members of the Joint Energy Committee that enabling it would lower utility bills and create jobs. Here's Dan Conant, founder and CEO of Solar Holler. As far as what this means for homeowners, uh, for any community solar projects we put in in AP territory, we'd be able to save uh, save the average family 450 bucks a year off of their, you, they would pay $450 a year less for their solar than they would be paying the, uh, than they would be paying AP. From a jobs perspective, uh, the uh, community solar bill that was introduced uh, last year, in, in last year's session, uh, would enable about 400 megawatts of community solar. If we were allowed to do that, that would create about 12,000 jobs. 
Richard Caperton, Vice President of Policy and Market Development at Arcadia, a community solar company, said West Virginia's neighbors are embracing the concept regardless of their politics. We've got very progressive states and we've got red states. And I look at um, our neighbors uh, just to the east in Virginia, where Governor Yunkin has made community solar and expanding community solar part of his energy plan for the state. Adam Edlin, the founder and CEO of Edlin Renewables and the former auditor of Kentucky, said he'd be willing to invest hundreds of millions of dollars in community solar in West Virginia. Community solar is incredibly valuable, and a good rule of thumb is that the capital investment that follows community solar is about $2 million a megawatt. For a utility-scale investment, it's about $1 million a megawatt. I'd like to spend as much of that money I can right here in West Virginia, but you all have got to let me. You don't have the regulatory approach that permits this kind of private capital investment. The good news for West Virginia is you've demonstrated a progressive spirit towards energy already. Edlin was talking about steps lawmakers had taken in previous sessions. Among other things, they enabled companies like Nucor and Berkshire Hathaway Energy to come to the state and receive renewable power. Last year, they also repealed the state's long-standing ban on nuclear power. Edlin said the investments could go to other states if lawmakers didn't act. Do you want it to go to California or Massachusetts? Or do you want to get your fair share here? Because the truth of the matter is there's nothing more compelling than a green energy project in a coal-producing state. We're seeing it happen everywhere. People want to be part of this. As a solar developer, Edlin stands to benefit from projects in Appalachia in ways he wouldn't elsewhere. That's because recent federal legislation, including the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act and the Inflation Reduction Act, provides tax incentives for clean energy projects in coal-affected communities. That didn't necessarily sit well with lawmakers from communities that still produce coal. Senator Rupi Phillips of Logan referred to the tax credits as subsidies and said he doesn't support them. I've got a bag of pixie dust for you, but it's actually coal, okay? Sun don't always shine. So what do you do, you know, you've got so many coal-fired power plants have shut down because of this fairy tale story. Caperton said a variety of sources can power the grid. We certainly see solar as part of a, an integrated grid uh, where are, there are different um, generation technologies on the grid, uh, each serving a role. We also are seeing uh, community solar projects with storage added to address that specific question. Last month, storage battery manufacturer Form Energy announced it would build utility-scale batteries in the former steel town of Weirton. Edlin emphasized that companies coming to West Virginia want alternative forms of energy to help meet their carbon reduction and sustainability goals. But y'all, every company that's coming in here is asking about a diversified renewable portfolio. And don't take my word for it. Ask your own commissioner or secretary, whatever you call them here, of, of economic development. Ask the governor's office. It remains to be seen whether community solar advocates can sway the critics. Now, Curtis speaks to two lawmakers who are deeply involved in those energy issues. I'm here with uh, Delegate Bill Anderson of Wood County and Delegate Kayla Young 
uh, of Kanawha County, and we're going to talk about some of the various energy issues that uh, is uh, that are under consideration in this session of the legislature. Uh, wanted to start by just asking about uh, Senate Bills 161 and 162. Uh, the governor has signed them. They passed both chambers. They passed your chamber, uh, the House, of course, uh, on an overwhelming vote. Um, Delegate Anderson, let me start with you. Uh, why is the, that? Uh, why are those bills so important, and what do they help uh, bring to West Virginia? I, I believe they're going to move the state forward. Uh, the uh, the I, I appreciate the fact that the uh, the Senate has taken action on these bills, and, and I'm hopefully they will move the state forward in the future. Uh, Delegate Young, any thoughts about? Uh, uh, these these two particular bills? Yeah, I agree with Delegate Anderson. Last year, I think both of us sponsored a bill for carbon uh, capture and sequestration, and these bills kind of aligned with that, right? So just moving more forward in the terms of we've been talking about hydrogen hubs, and we've been talking about different new technologies that can come to West Virginia as a result of a lot of federal legislation, plus a result of just technology moving forward. So we're all really excited about these opportunities. Uh, but Delegate Anderson, I think there were there were some um, folks, uh, especially in your party, who had some concerns about uh, the the decarbonization aspect of this. The the idea that you would take uh, the the carbon dioxide emissions produced, you know, in the the, uh, the manufacturing of hydrogen and pump them into these uh, these underground storage areas. Do you, do you can you kind of speak a little bit to those concerns? Well, I, I believe. Uh, the, the delegates that have concerns, uh, the, many of the things that uh, they were concerned about have been answered. I have the benefit on my committee uh, of having a, a professional geologist as my vice chair. And so he can help to educate our members with, within our caucus or any, any member that his office is always open. Uh, it's important in the sequestration that we pick the right geological features to, to where once it is captured, it is going to stay there and not leak out in any way. And I think that that's a very important thing. So it's very important to my committee for uh, Delegate Mark Citeslo from Hancock County is a great asset to not only me as chairman of the committee, uh, but to the minority members and other members of the committee as well. Uh, let me move on to a, a bill that uh, your committee has considered, uh, HB 2896, I believe it is. Uh, it, it's to, to uh, uh, I hope I'm saying this right, to, to create a, uh, a state agreement with the National, um, the, I'm sorry, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Um, why is that important? Well, first of all, the regulation of any nuclear activity uh, uh, is pretty much governed by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission uh, coming out of Washington. And so any nuclear legislation that we move forward, uh, we coordinate closely by with the uh, uh, Nuclear Regulatory Commission because there's no sense us putting forth a bill that, that is, is gonna be overridden by federal policy. And uh, so usually there's a lot of communication uh, between my committee council, myself, uh, mainly my committee council, uh, with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission as, as to what we can include in the legislation that comes forward. Uh, as you know, we passed a repeal of the ban on the nuclear energy in, in this state last year. 
But uh, that doesn't mean that we're on, on the pathway to developing nuclear power plants everywhere. Uh, but it does mean that the possibility of exploring uh, 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 small-scale nuclear reactors in the future. There's one at Penn State. It's my belief that Western University is interested in that. But we we would have to put the framework together together on this to uh, be able to to move somewhat into this field. Uh, Delegate Young, I remember uh, last year that you were a fairly enthusiastic supporter of mm -hmm. this repeal that, that Delegate Anderson just mentioned of the uh, the long-standing uh, ban on nuclear power in the state. Uh, what, what kind of future do you see for, for nuclear power in West Virginia? Um, I see one that is zero carbon with nuclear power involved. We're not at zero carbon right now. We won't be there anytime soon. But um, with nuclear, we can start to kind of have those conversations and, you know, start to have an all of the above energy policy. We we want to be all of the above energy policy. That's the House's stance. I know that's the Senate's stance that we want all of the above and we can't be all of the above if we're banning any type of energy. And so that moratorium, lifting moratorium is really important to me. I've sponsored it every year I've been in the legislature. I was really excited to get that done. Um, I work with a lot of people across the country on nuclear energy. I've kind of become one of the resident nuclear people. And so it. Uh, I was recently in France on a trip representing the legislature, learning about their nuclear industry, just to see what, what other places are doing. And so these small reactors are really innovative. and. The technology is fascinating, so I'm looking forward to the future with nuclear. It was great to have Bill Gates here earlier in the month to talk about it. Uh, yes, it, it, it did uh, get a lot of uh, good attention, I think, his visit. Um, speaking of all of the above, uh, early, well, I think, I think it was actually before the session actually started, um, uh, the, the Joint Energy Committee uh, had a presentation on community solar. Um, and, and Delegate Anderson, I believe you were there. Um, what did you think of that presentation? What, what do you think about the, the concept of community solar in general? And uh, do you think that we'll see legislation uh, passed to enable it in West Virginia? I, I was there for the presentation and uh, I found it to be a very interesting presentation. I, I believe it is something that we should look at and explore. Um, Delegate Young, what about you? I'm in full support of community solar. Uh, I think it's a great opportunity for people to get access to renewable energy that otherwise they wouldn't have been able to. So I'm excited about it. I hope we move forward with it. Okay. Um, another bill that's, uh, that's out there is uh, SB 157. Uh, it, it, uh, it intends to um, to use the Coalfield Community Development Office, which I'd personally never heard of, but apparently it, it, it was created some years ago and it's been inactive. Um, and uh, the, the West Virginia Coal Association, for example, wants to use it to promote coal, uh, the state's coal resources um, uh, nationally, um, and also to use it as a way of recruiting and training um, uh, new miners because um, you know, they were saying that, that, that they're actually, the industry in West Virginia is actually several hundred miners short uh, at this point because of just the, the, the recent demand for coal has been so strong. Um, uh, what do you think about that, Delegate Young? Um, I haven't had a chance to review the legislation since it's been in the Senate, but so I don't know a ton about it, but what I do know is that I don't think we should be using state resources to fund 
promotion of any industry, period. So that worries me a little bit. Well, and, and to be clear, they, uh, they, would, they would use the, the severance tax revenue uh, to, to pay for this, uh, which of course, you know, there's a lot of right now because both coal and natural mm-hmm. gas have been doing fairly well. Delegate Anderson, do you have any thoughts? Well, I, I believe the, this office has the potential to help us overcome the, the shortage of miners in the state. As, as you know, we've opened a couple of metallurgical coal mines, uh, I believe in Taylor County recently, because of the demand for that, that metallurgical coal in the world. Um, the, the coal production generates severance taxes for the state, and that is in large part why we are running the surpluses we are right now that allow us to fully fund. I would go back to when we became the majority in 2015, we were about $500 million underwater on a four-point-some billion dollar budget. We were about one-eighth, one-ninth underwater, and due to the development uh, and the management of the budget and, and the, uh, uh, the, the blessing of, I guess, high energy prices, uh, regardless of the cause of them, demand in the world, disruption in, in, uh, in Europe and the supply or whatever, we are in a position of benefiting as a state from the severance taxes generated, allowing us to fund programs in the budget we otherwise would not have been able to fund. Um, uh, believing, uh, uh, as Kayla said, that, that she uh, uh, believes in all of the above, we cannot transition to uh, uh, a complete green energy economy overnight. And we have an opportunity to take advantage of this, maintain adequate energy supplies, supplies not only for the people of West Virginia, but the nation uh, in order to meet the needs of this nation. Uh, while at the same time seeing our citizens benefit from the taxes generated. Uh, Delegate Young, in the the few seconds we have remaining, uh, just a quick reaction from you. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think any transition is going to happen overnight. Um, We know if if we go to an electrification that has no carbon that we're going to need three times the amount of energy just to generate it completely. We can't do anything overnight. We definitely can't leave any of those communities left in the dust. So hopefully we can do something that incorporates everybody at the same time. Well, Delegate Young, Delegate Anderson, thank you so much for coming on. Hope to talk to you again. Back to you, Bob. Thanks for that, Curtis. Tune into the legislature today, Monday through Friday at six. We'll have more news and interviews from the 2023 legislative session. And remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting is covering the session daily. I'm Bob Brunner. Thanks for joining us. Have a great evening. Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, committed to teaching, research, and professional training with degree programs in multiple locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com.